You're listening to Perry Noble's Thoughts on leadership, vision, and creativity. For daily insight, please check out perrynoble.com. All right, hello and welcome to the Leadership Podcast for June 2010. This is the Perry Noble Leadership Podcast, I should say. And I'm sitting here with Perry, and we are excited about what's coming up this summer at New Spring, but we're really excited, too, about what's going to happen this fall at New Spring Church, something we've never done before, our first leadership conference. And Perry, why don't you tell folks about that and why they need to get signed up for it? Yeah, here, here's the deal. I, I wanted us to do a conference that just strictly focused on the subject of leadership, but I wanted to make it a one-day deal. And I started sitting around and brainstorming. I'm like, all right, if I could get the top five, you know, I, I made a list. I said, all right, these are this is like the dream lineup for me. Um, it, it was I was completely selfish. It was just guys I really admire and respect and love and want to hear. Um, and so I literally said Francis Chan, Mark Driscoll, Stephen Furtick, Judah Smith, and Judd Wilhite. Th- these five guys. Now, now here's what's crazy: the odds of getting all of those people to commit on the same day. Um, was like right up there with a Red Sea parting. But as I began to email and make some calls, all of them were available. All of them said they would do it. All of them said they were excited about it. And so, um, and I'm going to speak that day, but I'm going to speak first so I don't have to follow any of those guys. Um, I, 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 I cannot wait. It's September 16th. It's going to be here at New Spring Church. You can go online to www.newspring.cc. There's a button on the main page that'll say Leadership Conference. And you click on that, you can register. I'm, I'm telling you, it's it's one day. Um, the phrase, it's so overused, but it's it describes it, drinking from a fire hydrant. That's what it's going to be that day. Um, some really, really, really great leaders that love Jesus primarily and love the church, and I really do believe have something significant to say in regards to leadership in today's church. And so I cannot wait for this conference. It's going It's going to be a big deal. Man, I can't either. Do not forget to get signed up too to don't miss the leader. I'm sorry, the early bird special, so to speak, the New Spring Blue Plate special before August 1st. Uh, save yourself about 20 or 30 bucks. So get signed up for that. I'm excited about it too, Perry. I can't believe that you're able to get all those guys. It's going to be an amazing day. And I just want to add that some people want to poo poo this idea of leadership that you can't be spiritual and push leadership and the reality is that Jesus was all about leadership and I'm excited that we're going to focus on that not leadership for leadership's sake but guys like you said that love Jesus and are focused on leadership and can equip other leaders to do great things and the other thing is leadership is identified in scripture as a spiritual gift so people that really have a problem with leadership most likely actually have a problem with the holy spirit and uh we'll we'll save that for another time that'd be a fun yeah we'll hit that topic some other day today what we want to do is pick up sort of where we left off with our last podcast if you uh listeners may recall the last time we looked kind of behind the curtains at new spring church at one of our all staff meetings from april of 2008 and we talked about the idea that uh, when we do things right, we still need to expect that there'll be a fight. The idea that resistance uh, when we're doing things right is really about our refinement and preparation for the next thing that God's bringing our way, and that we should not be frustrated or fearful, but be excited because something great is ahead. So what we want to do is really pick up uh, on the idea from that same all-staff meeting uh, about the importance of, of anticipation and in desperation. You're teaching, Perry, from Second Chronicles uh, 20. I think you start up in verse 3. So what we want to do now is just pick up the staff meeting there, listen to this teaching, 
and then we'll uh, ask some questions. Verse 3, alarmed, alarmed, which that makes sense. He's doing what's right. The enemy comes, shakes him up a little bit. And I'm not saying when we face battles, it's not going to shake us up a little bit. It's always going to alarm us when we face these things. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. That means he freaked out and prayed. Um, that's, that's what I think. And he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. Verse 4, the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Now, I see a couple things in this verse that really stick out to me where when they found out the enemy was coming, there were two things that happened. I lied. I do have two things you can write down if you want to. There were two things that happened. Everybody came from all over Judah to seek the Lord. In other words, there was a sense of anticipation. There was a sense of anticipation. In other words, they said, all right, here's the problem, and the enemy's coming against us, so let's all get together to seek the Lord and really seek the Lord. I mean, they broke out the fasting card. When you break out the fasting card, you're really seeking the Lord. They said, let's fast and seek the Lord. In other words, they were coming together in anticipation that God was going to do something. I think one of the things that we've got to continually do as a staff is show up here Every day, especially on Sundays, with a sense of anticipation that God's about to do something. I think it is a sin for a staff member to show up at this church on a Sunday and walk in the doors and pretend that it's business as usual. I think we've got to show up anticipating. I think staff members should be getting Feeding tickets on the way to church on Sunday morning because we can't wait to get here and see what God is going to do. And if there's ever the time where you can't be filled with a sense of anticipation over a consistent period of time, you need to freaking quit your job and let somebody get in there that can anticipate that God's about to do something. We've got to be fired up with anticipation on Sunday morning. It should be something that we say to each other. Like when you, when you walk by somebody, you go, God's going to do something. I don't know what God's going to do. God's going to change somebody. And you know what? Here's the cool thing. We don't always get to see what God's doing, but God's always doing something. And we should have a sense of anticipation. These guys, you don't, these guys didn't get together because they thought that maybe we're going to go over here, we're going to pray a little bit, and God might do something. They anticipated God doing something great. But the second thing is there was a sense of desperation. Not only was there a sense of anticipation, there was a sense of desperation. They knew if God didn't intervene, they were screwed. They knew that they would be completely overran by the enemy. And I think with us, there needs to be not only a sense of anticipation, but a sense of desperation. Because we know what we're capable of, but we also know what we're capable of without God, and that's pretty much nothing. Desperation. I just want to ask you a question. And I'm, I'm guilty. i, I got to start this. When's the last time you drove to church and all the way here you begged God to do something great? When's the last time you, you pulled up in the parking lot and before you even got out of your car, you bowed your head and said, God, God, we got to have you today. If your presence is not among us, then what we're doing is wasting everybody's time. 
I'm not saying we got to get together as a staff in the lobby every Sunday morning. We're going to hold hands and form the circle, and you pray. And then if you don't want to pray, you squeeze the hand of the person next to you, and we'll skip you. Remember, we always did that in youth group and stuff, and everybody always prayed the same thing. And by the time the third person prayed, it, it's, it's, I, I hated that. I just always hated that. I, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, when's the last time you were really desperate for God? I mean, it's great. I mean, I'm, I'm pumped, man, planning sermons, and, and, and we're, we've got all kind of projects going on. When is the last time you stopped and prayed, God, I need to hear from you because I don't know how to do this? Not because you were freaked out, but because you were honest. There's got to be a sense of anticipation, but then there has to be a sense of desperation. And we've got to have both. You can't have one or the other. I keep reading. Uh, verse 5, then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, I love this, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. I just want to stop and, and say, I love the fact that the leader focused on the sovereignty of God. And one of the things we've got to continually do as a leader when trouble comes our way or we're in that sense of anticipation or desperation, at the end of the day, we've got to be able to go home and put our head on our pillow and understand that God's got it. In fact, I, I remember Craig Rochelle saying to me one time, he said, and this, this was a wake-up call to me, he said, God actually loves your church more than you love it, and he wants it to grow more than you want it to grow. And I would, I would even take that to your area of ministry. You think you love that area of ministry? Think about how much God loves that area of ministry. Children's, youth, volunteers, whatever. God loves that area of ministry way more than we love it. That's why we've got to continually come back to anticipation, desperation, but at the end of the day, God's got it. And keep reading. This next part will get a little tense, I think. Yes, it will. Verse No, that'll be later. Verse 7. Oh, our God, did you, look at this, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land? Now, right here, I'm going I'm I'm to come back to this over and over again. What the king is doing right here, what Jehoshaphat is doing, is he's beginning to focus on God's faithfulness. So instead of really getting freaked out, he acknowledged the sovereignty of God, and then he goes all the way back and begins to recount how faithful God's been all along the journey. He's like, all right, God, we wouldn't even be in this land if you wouldn't have cleaned it out. You know, and that, guys, that speaks to us. I mean, we're sitting in a room right now with a staff that's larger than the crowd that showed up the second Sunday of our church's existence. Think about how far God has brought this church since you walked in the door for the first time. I mean, the first thing he does is he goes, God, you're sovereign. And oh yeah, by the way, you're faithful. You've been so good to me. You've been so good to us as a nation. And if we ever, ever, ever forget how far God has brought us, where he brought us from, then we will, we will, never, we will never gain vision of where he wants us to go. You know, based on what we just heard at the beginning of that clip, we hear you talking about resistance being an alarm uh, from God to us. Um, 
Do you think that's the primary reason we face resistance for a, a wake-up call from God? Man, I don't know if it's the primary reason, but I know it's got to be a major reason. Um, I know that nothing grows without resistance. Uh, for example, if you go into the gym and you put um, 50 pounds on the bench press and you lift it five times and you do that all your life, your muscles are never going to grow because they're not truly getting worked out. Um, your muscles only grow literally when you put weight on the bar that causes you to that causes stress, that causes strain, that causes you to push, that causes you to sweat. Some people it causes them to make really loud, unnecessary noises and they scream um, profanities or whatever. But but at the end of the day, you're you're breaking down your muscle and it's building up again, and that's that's resistance. Um, and some of my greatest times of spiritual growth and development have came out of what I thought at the time was some of my darkest times in life where I was like, oh my gosh, this is crushing me. And what I actually thought was crushing me, it was actually God building me up. You know, uh, this idea of alarms or, um, I recall that I think our very first podcast had to do with uh, alarms going off for leaders. Yeah. And I'm just curious, you know, we're visiting this again, and if, if you're just paying attention, there's always something happening uh, in our church, and I'm certainly in, in the people who are listening, church organization, that are alarms. And I'm just wondering how thick are our heads, or how much does God love us that He would continually put us in situations to wake us up? You know, how do you how do you deal with facing resistance? You get through something and you face it again. I mean, what do you what do you think is God's purpose in that? I just think it's God reminding me that I can't do it without Him. I mean, th think about how easy ministry would be if we just didn't need God. Um, you know, you set up systems and processes and, and forms and evaluations and all these other things, and, uh, and there, there are actually some churches, Shane, that are set up so well that they don't need God to operate because they've got everything figured out. And so God will, um, I think he kind of smirks, uh, maybe kind of chuckles a little bit, and all he has to really do is stick his pinky in and stir it up a little bit, and then the system or the whatever we had in place completely falls apart. And it's just a reminder, oh, yeah, we need him. We can't do this on our own. And so I think that's why um, God allows the alarm to go off a lot of times. You mentioned in the, um, in, in the, in the clip that prayer and fasting, like when right. you get serious about things you know you're going to start fasting and you in 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 your response to that last question you said that we overlook those things that we have strategies in place that we can run without God why yes. are prayer and fasting so frequently overlooked or the last thing we think about when we face resistance well fasting's overlooked because a lot of pastors are fat <laughs> Um, just to be honest with you, especially Southern Baptist. Um, and, and that's where I come from, and there's research to show that most Southern Baptist pastors are huge. They've got a problem with beer, but they obviously don't have a problem with biscuits. And they'll say, my lips have never touched alcohol, and their feet have never touched a treadmill either. So that's enough of a rant on that. But seriously, most pastors, um, let, just backing up, and this isn't what you asked, but, but food is the idol in the American church today that it's really okay to worship. Um, and, and so, so we're not going to talk about fasting because that's staying away from something that we really do ultimately love more than God, because if we loved God more than we love food, then our bodies wouldn't look the way they look. So, um, and right there, some pastors tune me out, but, but, but that's fine probably because they're huge. Um, 
the, the, the deal is we don't, we don't fast because literally it's, it's attacking something we love. But when we fast, it shows a desperation for God. And anytime you talk about fasting, like I'll bring this up and, you know, you'll have people push back and go, well, you don't, you know, I, I don't know about you fasting. And I'm like, well, the Bible tells me not to talk about when I fast. So if I'm fasting, I'm not going to tell you when I fast because then Jesus says I lose my reward and I want my reward from God, not you. So that's one of the reasons we don't fast is because it has to do with our idols. And we pray, we pray, but here, and Shane, I'm so guilty of this. I've caught myself using prayer as more of a good luck charm than actually seeking God. It's like, all right, we've got all this planned, we've got all this prepared, we've got all this on the table. Let's pray over it. So we attach the seal. It's kind of like attaching the approval of the Holy Spirit, you know, stamp, okay, we got a prayer in. So we busted our rear ends, we put a 30-second prayer on it, and somehow magically that's going to just transform everything. And I think one of the reasons God, coming back to the alarm, God allows the alarm to go off is to remind us, you're not smart enough and you're not good enough to figure this out. And if you're not on your face, seeking my face, then this is going to stump you for the rest of your life. So I, I, and I, in order for us to do that, Shane, it takes a leader or a group of leaders humbling themselves and acknowledging the fact that we don't know what's going on. And so because we love our idols, food, and we don't want to humble ourselves, um, prayer and fasting often goes overlooked in the realms of leadership. Yeah, I've got to ask you this question because I know it's true for me. I mean, when you are desperate or when you are anticipating God doing something that's greater than you're capable of handling, doesn't that change your prayer life? As opposed to a stamp on the end of a great idea. Oh my gosh! I mean, some of the things um, I, I heard it described. I think it was Craig Rochelle. The, he coined the phrase for me: "If you've never had an oh crap moment in your life, then you've never really received um, a word from God in regards to what He wants you to do." And I, as I look back over the history of, of ministry and just in my life. And this isn't even including New Spring. This is when I was a youth pastor in a church that was running 100 people. Um, I just remember God just filling my heart with vision and, and me going, oh my gosh, in order for that to happen, God, you're going to have to move. And just it just made me desperate. I mean, it's, it's the old phrase, and I did a whole sermon on it. It's the lie, God will never put more on you than you can handle. And the Bible didn't say that anywhere. There's not... The, the, the verse that people always use is 1 Corinthians 10, 13, which does say God will not let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. But I think as a leader, God will often put more on us than we can handle to drive us to our knees, because if we can handle it, then we don't need him. Man, that is so, so true. You know, shift gears a little bit. You mentioned in the staff meeting that you think uh, New Spring staff members should be getting speeding tickets on the way to work, and so I just want to make sure I give you an opportunity to deal with that. Do you really advocate breaking the law? Yes, I advocate breaking the law uh, because in Esther, <laughs> they going before the king was against the law, and she said, I'm going before the king, and if it's against the law, uh, it's against the law, and if I perish, I perish. And so I've got a verse that says it's okay. Um, no, I, I do not advocate um, breaking the, the law. I, I did speed on the way to work one morning, but i got to be honest, it wasn't because I was anticipating um, what God was going to do, I was listening to the Beastie Boys, and they just make me drive fast. And so I was, and I know I shouldn't, have, I, I know I probably should have said I was listening to Southern Gospel, but I was, 
It, that doesn't make me drive fast. It makes me want to drive over a cliff. So I was listening to anyway. All right. So all right, let's go from there. But th- but talking about having passion, you know, one of the things I love about you, Perry, is your passion is contagious, and I think that's why we do have a staff that is excited about coming to church. And I think for the leaders out there, they need to know that they can't expect to have people filled with passion if they don't have passion. How important is your level of anticipation, your passion for the whole staff? Yeah, I think the leader sets the sets the pace as far as passion. And if the leader if the leader isn't fired up about his church, then how in the world can he expect his staff or the people that attend his church to, to be fired up? Um, I, I really do think, I really do think, and I say this all the time, I think New Spring is the greatest church on the planet. I don't think we're the perfect church. We've got a long way to go. We've got many loopholes. We've got lots of areas to improve in. But I really do think at the end of the day that this is the greatest church in the world. Um, if I didn't think that, I would not work here. Um, and in the areas that we need to improve in, I'm so fired up to make sure that we improve in those areas because I want us to do an even greater job. Um, that That's just passion coming out in the leader. Some people go, well, that's arrogance and cockiness to say that you're the greatest church. Well, if you think your church sucks, then what does that say about you as a leader? I mean, like, like literally, like, welcome to church. I don't know why you're here. I don't even like this place. I wouldn't show up if they, if they didn't pay me. I wouldn't be, you know, like what kind of leadership is that? I believe a leader has to set the pace as far as passion and not fake it. I mean, yeah, yeah, fake passion's not cool. I really believe God's going to do something great today. And in his mind, he's going, I don't even know if God knows where this place is. I think the, I mean, if, if a leader can't be fired up about the place where he's serving, he needs to pray, God, either set my heart on fire or take my heart elsewhere. But one way or the other, I need to be in a place where you absolutely set me on fire. That's good. In a recent uh, leadership team meeting, you made the statement that we can't afford to have passionless people in prominent positions and that every position is prominent. Right. Uh, how tied is this idea of passion to anticipation and desperation? Oh, my gosh. If you have no passion, then you won't anticipate God doing anything, and you'll never be desperate for him. Um, you'll just be like, it, there, there's, a, there's a difference between a difference maker and a paycheck taker. And paycheck takers never have made a difference in the world. But the but difference makers obviously have made a difference because, I mean, the, the world remembers the difference makers. And so I can't stand the staff member that's looking to do the least amount of work for the maximum amount of recognition. Um, when they're running around, like if you got the staff member that always wants to be recognized, like the staff member that's always telling you how hard they work. I mean, I just remember having a conversation with, I just work so hard, I just work so hard, I just work so hard. I'm like, that's your job. Of course you work hard. If you didn't want to work hard, I've got some, I got places you can work in the secular world or whatever, but um, that that's your job to work hard. Um, well, you know, sometimes, uh, I mean, sometimes I have to put in extra hours. Oh, well, I'm I'm so glad that Jesus didn't have that attitude. Oh, time's up, not doing the cross today. Uh, I don't I don't think that really translates into into church world. Um, there is a time to work and there is a time to rest. I'm I'm also passionate about staff members taking time off, taking time to rest, taking breaks. We shut down the office on Fridays so staff can have all day with their families. I'm, I'm very passionate about that. But at the end of the day, you're going to work hard because ministry's hard. That's right. 
which really begs a question from me. How, you know, we have some people, or I should say there are some people in ministry roles that believe they're working a job as opposed to following a call. Yes. How do you distinguish the difference, or what would you say the difference is between a job and a call? A, a, a job is something you do. A calling is something that you can't help but do. Mm. Um, like one of, my, one of my favorite examples here is Joe Sankel. Um, Joe, who was on staff with us, who helped, actually helped start the church, came back, was on staff for a while, and now he does financial counseling. Unbelievable. In fact, we needed to set up a podcast with him, Shane, yeah, and just do a whole deal. podcast with Joe. But um, I, I just, like, he was working in corporate America making six figures, and that, but that was his job. And he quit that job to follow his calling, took a 50% pay cut, over 50% pay cut to come on staff here at New Spring Church. And today, I mean, he's got his own ministry. He's God is using him to make a difference. That's the difference between job and calling. A job is something you do. A calling is something that you can't help but do. Here's the deal. If I wasn't doing what, I was, what I'm doing at New Spring, I would do it somewhere else. Yep. I've got to do this. That's really good. You know, one of the things uh, you mentioned in the, in the clip is that we do a lot of work, we get things ready, but we have to realize that it's the sovereignty of God that holds all of our efforts together. Why is trusting in or understanding that truth so crucial? If I did not believe in the complete sovereignty of God, I would lose my mind. Because, here's why, I get up in every morning and look in the mirror and shave with a complete idiot. Like I know, like you know, the the like I know how smart I am, and it's it's not smart. And then I'll show up here and realize from time to time that I'm the leader around here, and I'm like, oh my gosh, it, the sovereignty of God is so real to me because there's no way I could have ever, ever orchestrated this thing. I mean, I and so. It is absolutely essential for me to believe in the sovereignty of God because if I didn't, I would literally lose my mind. Yeah, and just to be clear, I do not shave with you. When you shave, I'm not shaving. No, that's sure that, you're a little scruffy uh, today. Uh, anyway, the well, uh, the sovereignty of God does that strengthen or weaken your level of anticipation or desperation? Oh, it strengthens it because because I believe God is so powerful. Um, and I just know that that he he he's going to do something great. Like he he's always wanting to do something great, and the cool thing is, and I think I said it in the in the clip we just listened to, um, God's always doing something great whether you see it or not. Yep. One of the myths that we believe is, um, like we'll give an invitation and nobody will respond, and we'll go, well, God didn't show up today, but like eight months later we'll be having a random conversation and somebody will be like, remember that sermon you preached? And like you don't, you're like, oh, I don't even know what that was, and they make a remark, and they're like, yeah, God rocked my world that day. And so one of the myths that we believe is I got to see God work in order for God to work. Mm -hmm. That's just not true because I believe, according to Isaiah 55, if we preach God's word every week, that word does not return void. And so people are getting their world rocked. Sometimes people just need time to process. Um, but that wasn't even what you asked. Uh, sovereignty of God, anticipate. Yeah, so so the sovereignty of God, and the sovereignty of God allows me to be desperate for God because I know because God has placed a, just a humongous vision and passion inside of me, 
Um, I know that, you know, I know he'll finish what he started. Philippians 1.6, he will finish what he started. And so that just brings great comfort to me. Yeah, I was thinking that uh, this idea just went through my mind, that there's a big difference between relaxing and resting, mm. that trusting in God's sovereignty or relying upon him ultimately uh, does not mean we relax in what we do. So I think we should be clear about that, that we're to work harder because we know God's in control, not less hard, and that we can rest in his sovereignty, uh, but it doesn't give us license to relax. Um you talked about this whole God's going to finish what he starts, and that really leads to my next question. How often do you battle, personally battle fear, that this whole New Spring thing is going to fail? At least once a week. <laughs> Talk about that. Well, oh, my gosh, because, like, I will walk off stage on a Sunday after preaching a message and go, oh, my gosh, I just hope Lucretia comes back next week. Lucretia's my wife. Because that was so horrible. Like, like, leaders wrestle with this. There's not a communicator in America that walks off stage and chest bumps his, you know, worship leader every week going, man, I just killed that, you know, spikes his Bible. And, and it, like, we, we all wrestle with that. Every leader I know wrestle with that. I was talking to a pastor that had been a pastor for 20 years. Um, and we were having dinner one night, and I was asking him, and I said, hey, man, I said, here's the deal, and his church is large, it's successful. I mean, they're doing a great work, reaching a lot of people for Christ. And I said, um, hey, man, here's my deal. I've been, I've been preaching about six years. And I told him, I said, sometimes I just think this whole thing's going to fall apart, and I, da, 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 da. And I bet when you get older, you know, that kind of goes away. And he looked at me dead in the eye without even cracking a smile, and he said, I have that fear at least once a week. It doesn't go away. And so I just... I, I just think every leader struggles with that. Now, I've never heard of that talked about at a leadership conference, right. but literally we all stand up in front of our people and we're going, God's going to do great things, and we go off stage and we crap our pants because we're like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> he does great things. And so, yeah, we, we all struggle with that. Well, that just kind of leads to the quote you shared that Craig Rochelle shared with you that God – actually loves your church way more than you love your church. I mean, how has just that idea uh, helped you in, uh, in leading this thing? When Craig shared that with me, it was a crossroads in my ministry. Um, I caught myself worrying about the church way more than loving the church, um, and I caught myself freaking out more than focusing on Jesus. Mm -hmm. And Craig Rochelle, I mean, it was just... Um, by the way, Craig Rochelle might be the best-looking pastor in America. I'm just saying, but he's up there. He's, I mean, he's up there. He's top three, definitely he, yeah, top three, definitely top three. Um, I'm number one. Anyway, Craig, Craig, when he shared that, I don't believe that. By the way, um, when when Craig shared that, that God, he, he, I mean, he just said, Perry, God loves your church more than you do. It was like the lights went on. And I think somewhere in my subconscious, I kept feeling like I was doing this because I wanted to prove something to God, which is something that a lot of leaders, they work really hard um, because like me, you know, somebody, everybody's got a skeleton in their closet. I've got a graveyard in mine. So, I mean, it's like, you know, I guess there might have been a subconscious desire to, to work off all that bad stuff, you know, hold the whole Christian karma. Karma. I said Carmen. He's my favorite Christian talker. Karma idea. Um, and so I just, you know, it was just, you know, Craig just telling me, hey, man, relax. God loves your church 
more than you. I mean, God loves the church. I mean, he was loving the church for thousands of years before I even showed up on the scene. So it, I'm telling you, understanding that concept can bring a lot of peace to a leader. And that kind of leads me to uh, my final question. Uh, that truth that Craig shared with you is really about just recognizing God's faithfulness. Right. And so you mentioned the importance uh, in the clip. You mentioned the importance of looking back and remember how God's been faithful. And so over the last 10 years, uh, since New Springs' inception, give us a couple of examples of where you've seen God's faithfulness and how it's prepared you or this church to move forward. Well, you know, I share it in leadership talks a lot, but early on, you know, when the biggest giver walked, the guy that gave 60% of the budget, um... Man, that was scary. Uh, you hear leaders talk about that, but but man, on the on the back side, of, or on the front side of that, and on the back side, I was, I, I had some. There were some scary moments because you're like, oh my gosh, this thing could crash financially before we have our first service, and we never ever missed paying a bill. Um, the the second one that just sticks out in my mind, and I just, I mean, there's so many, but uh, I know a lot of young church planters listen to this and so I'll share this we were um we were about seven months old um at five months old we decided to bring on Lee McDermott our worship leader on full-time staff um it was a step of faith because it didn't make sense on paper um but we just knew it was of God we just we just knew I mean we just knew and we wrestled with it and we finally said, hey, let's take a step of faith. Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, there's a fine line between faith and stupidity, so don't go out and hire 17 staff members. I'm just saying. We knew it was God. So, uh, so we hired Lee in May. And then if you're a pastor, you know what happens to the giving in June and July. Um, people give their tithe to Mickey Mouse. That's what happens. I mean, that every year. And so uh, June was a rough month financially. And then we paid the bills for July, and the lady who was keeping the books in the church at the time came to me, and she showed me the balance in the checkbook, and it was bad. Um, and right there on the spot, I had a minor meltdown. Um, I didn't meltdown major. That was later that night. But um, I had a minor meltdown, and I, I literally, we had a staff meeting the next day. It was me and Lee um, and Jen. She was the, the lady that looked over the books, and she was um, part-time at the time and we had a couple volunteer staff and I I just made them show up and I was like y'all gotta come and and I just told them I said guys if we don't pray I don't I don't like we don't have the money so we've we better I mean it was a it was desperation time Mm -hmm. the next three weeks and I'm not even making this up I've got I've still got the balance sheets to, to show this I was looking at this the other day the next three weeks were the three biggest weeks of giving what, in fact, the next week, we took in more money than we took in the first month. Mm-hmm. It was like, and I didn't go before the church, I didn't because that's back when I wouldn't talk about money. And so that I, I just it just people for the next three weeks, we took in we took in around sixty five hundred dollars. And we did like that was more money than we took that's actually more money than we took in the first three months. Mm-hmm. And so it was like God's going, hey, I brought you to the point of desperation. So you could realize, I'm bigger than this, and I got it. And I, I just never will forget. I mean, that's just one of those huge, huge things. 
And um, he has, I mean, as the budget grows, um, it's just more zeros, but it's still the same God. And so, you know, he can, he can still do it. Man, that's such a great word, uh, especially for us to, to wind down this uh, session of the Perry Noble Leadership Podcast. But before we go, Perry, I'm going to just give you one final opportunity to say whatever you, you feel led to say to the leaders that are listening to this that may be, they may be desperate, but not the kind of desperation you're talking about. How, how can we, how can you encourage them to look to the Lord to find that place of anticipation of something positive and desperate for, the God, for God to move? Yeah, the the thing I love about this story in in Second Second Chronicles chapter twenty was Jehoshaphat. This was bigger than him. Um, a lot of leaders make it about them personally. I know I've done that. I mean, every leader does that. It's the temptation that we all face and wrestle with. But that Jehoshaphat realized, you know what? There's there's more at stake here than just my leadership. It's the lives of hundreds and even thousands of people. And so I think one of the things that we've got to do as leaders is understand that there's more at stake than how many people follow us on Twitter or how many people read our blog or whatever, that literally the lives of hundreds and even thousands of people are at stake in regards to what we do. And so because of that, we've got to run back to our calling often and remember the same God that called us will sustain us through the times because, because God knew what we were getting into when he called us. And so anything that we are facing right now did not surprise him. He is not in heaven wringing his hands going, oh my goodness, what, what do I do now? Like he knows. And so I would say that, that if you happen to be going through a tough time right now or a particularly challenged time, challenging time in your ministry, God's not surprised by it. In fact, he either directly caused it or indirectly allowed it in order to bring you and I to the realization that if we don't have him in ministry, um, we're screwed. And so I would just use that as encouragement that God is trying to get your attention because he's actually probably trying to prepare you for a movement that uh, uh, he, I mean, j- it'll just blow your mind. So that's what I'd say. Sweet. Well, I think that's real encouraging. I think, you know, obviously always point back to Jesus, that he's in charge, that he's going to be the one to finish what he starts. So what a great word. Listen, we just want to say thank you for listening to the Perry Noble Leadership Podcast today. My name is Shane. I'm thankful that uh, you've been with us. And let me say this, the next time we get together, we are probably going to do something different. And so we're going to take questions via Twitter. You can Twitter your leadership questions to at Carl's. That's K-A-R-L-Z. And she will lit, get, gather the questions and bring them to us next time when we do our leadership podcast. And she's a real cute girl, too. So, And she's single. So there you go. We're done today. Later.